it just me, or do you always feel like we should reprise every one of these songs? Yeah, every one. I, are y'all, am I, are y'all, I mean, don't you feel like we should just sing it again? Like, I was halfway done. <laughs> just hold on. I, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about, I was reading that lyric, and my mind just went to this reality, like, persevere, hold on. God will carry you through. We walk through trials. Hang on. Jesus is with you. And then I started to think like when God walks through the fires with us, we are persevering and holding on. But sometimes, sometimes we have been standing in the midst of the fire and we have been cast there because of circumstances, i.e. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the next thing you know, it's not that God will lead you out of the fire or that he will pull you out of the situation that you're in. It's that he may walk into the middle of it, turn on some music, and you guys may be rejoicing in the middle of the fire. And that's where I find great joy in our Father is that, yeah, Lord, lead us out of the fire. But how about while we're in the middle of it, would you mind burning away the ropes that have tied us down in this? Because we want to lift holy hands to you. We want to rejoice in fullness before you. You are our God. We are your people. You're here with us in this fire, not just on the other side of it. And we praise you, Lord God. Man, that's the prayer I have for us as a church. Just hold on. For our God is with you, and he is mighty and marvelous and majestic in his salvation. In the fire, through the fire, after the fire, before the fire, he is our God. He is the consuming fire. Glory to God. I'm, I'm kind of excited. Can we sing this again? Just hold on. You've got to... That's like the 80s rock and roll voice. That's all I got. So that's bad. For, I want to just speak for a few minutes this morning on an extraordinary topic. I'm going to sing it most of the way through, and it should be really to your great benefit. And so um, if you have a Bible and want to turn to 1 John, the second chapter, if you're doing the tech notes upstairs, I fear because I have in my notes the book of John, the second chapter, but I want to read from 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. So that may not, Brandon, that may throw you for a loop and it's your, your first day. Way to go, buddy. Um, that's the pastor's fault. But in 1 John, the second chapter, we're invited in to be a part of what God is doing. And he's, we've, we've learned some things. If you haven't been here through this entirety of series, we've been talking about the presence of God and how to experience the presence of God. We begin with who doesn't want to be in the midst of the God the God of extraordinary consuming fire. I mean, who doesn't want that? When you build a temple, or maybe better said for today, when you prepare throughout the week to come and gather, who doesn't want this presence with God where you just kind of walk in the room and actually we have to stand outside because God is so fully fallen on the place. I'm looking forward to the parking lot church where we're just kind of standing in and I, I don't know that in the New Testament that's going to happen as it did with the Old Testament temple. But the presence of God, they prepared the way. And then as scripture teaches us in Ephesians 3, it was more than they could ask or imagine. I mean, literally the presence so richly fell, it says the priest just kind of went, we have nothing to do. We have nothing to do other than stand and point you toward this powerful presence of God. Or in the New Testament, this was experienced by the early church as they gathered 120 strong and they bent their knee before God and said, God, come and work among us. And he came in power. And we just have been talking as a church about how to make way for the power and presence of God and to understand that it is not some mystical thing, but it is an ordinary, everyday experience for followers of Jesus. 
And if we're sitting in the room going, you know, we want some extraordinary... God really does long to manifest himself among his people. He really longs for us to walk in the fullness of his presence today. He really longs for us to experience him in, in reality and in truth. And so we have been talking through the um, study Experiencing God, just the seven truths of experiencing God. And, and today we reach the conclusion of a study, but not the conclusion of the desires of our heart, which are to say, Lord, guide us on a moment-by-moment basis to experience your presence. And we will, as First John, the second chapter, verses 3 through 6 reads, we know that we know him. If we obey his commands. So a byproduct of us as a people of God being known for knowing him is that we are a people who are radically obedient to God. And when we just, when we parse that out, we begin to realize when we come face to face with scripture, there are, there's no begrudging moment for us when we see where our lives and the biblical truth of our reality don't match up. We're immediately a repentant and obedient group. And if that were true of us, we would experience a divine and powerful presence of God. Today could be an incredible day of repentance across this room. Just us reading this and saying, God, when we know you, we walk in obedience to who you are. Immediate obedience. And many of us are in this room in a state of disobedience. We already know the truth of God's word. And somehow, in some manner, we've justified our decisions, our actions for a long period of time or for the last 15 minutes. Whichever that lands you in. And a great response to the living God is this. God, I'm agreeing with you. I am sorry. Because if I, if I read this scripture correctly, that I know you, then I am obedient to you. The man who says I know him, but doesn't do what it commands of the Lord, what they are, he's a liar. This doesn't mince words. I wish I'd give you a better rendition of this. And the truth of Christ is not in him. But if he obeys his word... God's love is made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk in him. Oh my goodness. I feel like I just ought to personally pause right now and just say, okay, Lord, the reality of the presence of God is that for those of us who live in you, we are walking in you and we are fully and completely obedient to you. And it just changes everything about who we are. I I begin to just... Understand obedience this way. I just wrote four bullet thoughts. The outward expression of my love for God is obedience to God. That's just who I am. You see it and you know it. That's just, God read this, it's changed who I am. The reward that I gain from this, I get more God. I mean, I get more of Him. That means I get more of the fullness of the Spirit of God. I am walking more in context of relationship with God. The sentence that kept you know, merging in my heart as I studied for this week was that faith begets faith. That my walk with God and this obedience to God will birth more faith. And the more that I walk with Him and the more that I attune my heart with Him, the more I gain God. Okay, if we're in the church and we're the church of Jesus Christ, the reality that we gain more of God should absolutely blow us away. Like, there shouldn't be a question, I'm going to amen that. Here, let me just, you get the word for obedience is you get more God. All of us should be going, I mean, there should be shouting if we were Pentecostal. There's more of his purposes, more of his ways, a deepening love relationship with him. I was just reading and I shared with the staff this week. Um, whenever I go back to this idea of more God, I always am just drawn back to the book of Acts. If you've been here for the last four years, you know I love the book of Acts. It's because it, 
It's because it looks like the church should look. It's how it began. And so I just was back in the book of Acts and reading this idea of, God, we want more of you. And it really amazes me. I'm not going to spend more than two minutes on Peter. But I began to read about Peter. You know, Peter Well, this guy that, that failed greatly. He was restored redemptively. If, that's, if you're sitting in the room feeling any sense of condemnation right now or that just understand this condemnation is from the evil one conviction is from the living God you should be feeling conviction in this room and like Peter your life becomes a deliberate movement toward God and so we're, he moved his life toward God and God redemptively restored him. He drew him, if you will. He drew Peter into the oceans of his grace. In a literal sense of the word, Peter was fishing in God, if you will, or Jesus, if you will, from the bank, baptized him simply by saying, put down the net, pick up the cross, come and find me. And Peter just took everything off and dove into the oceans of God's grace. And I think that's where God invites us is put down what you are pursuing. Pick up the cross of who I am. And that faith that you are plunging into will draw you to more faith and more of me, more of who I am. If this isn't amazing to you, Peter understood as James wrote in the book of James. I don't know what you think of faith, but faith apart from the works of the living God, it is a dead faith. But faith that pulls off its garments and plunges into the oceans of God's grace, redemptively and restoratively, in this manner that God desires, it becomes a, an impassioned, God-sized faith. Peter, Peter experienced God. He experienced more of Jesus in that moment. As he sat by the fire, and I just I began to read in the, the third chapter of the book of Acts, and I, I don't know that I'll even do justice to my heart as it just... Um, it just became full of God in this moment. But in Acts, the third chapter, I just began to read about how Peter stepped up and spoke with such power and, and amazed others. And I think it's in the second chapter into the third, he's just preaching for a few moments and thousands came to know the Lord. I'm just thinking, God, this is the guy who was flailing who literally cursed you and cursed a little girl over saying he knew you. There is a power. I mean, that, God, there's something that happens in us, first of all, when we encounter Jesus. So let's not bypass that. But second of all, when we grow in our faith, we step out and do things that we could not imagine. Plausible. I mean, in the third chapter, I love this because Peter's now preached, thousands are saved, the church is birthed, it's looking pretty robust. And then he goes in and begins to speak to people and they're talking about this. And as he's walking along, this guy says, can I be healed? Peter heals him. And I love this because he walked in the church. I would love for this guy to walk among Mandarin because it says these words of him, that he danced, he leapt, and he worshiped throughout the place. And all the religious cuckoos that were sitting in the room were looking back going, what is he doing? Bless the Lord, we don't do that in this place. And he was literally going, I, this scripture in Acts, in Acts, the third chapter says, he was leaping, he was jumping, he was running and walking, and he was praising God. And Peter's just walking along going, I'm just getting more of God. And apparently more of God means other people gain more God as well. And, and then he goes on in the fourth chapter and he starts talking to the religious and that gets him in a little bit of trouble and he's in prison for this. And in the fourth chapter, I look, I love when he's talking to them and peeling, I mean, here's, here's, you know, offensive preaching. Like, um, you know, you had this fantasy of knowing God, but you were this, really the scum of the earth and you're making my father want to throw you up out of his mouth. You brood of vipers. That is not your, you don't teach that in seminary as church growth 101. But that's the Acts 4 
message that Peter is speaking to the church culture. And he's looking at them and saying, look, I want you to move away from your lukewarmness into a white hot people who are passionate for the things of God. And so I'm going to tell you that right now you're a brood of vipers. You are the people who crucified him on the cross. You are the people that need the power of that crucifixion. You are the people who need the resurrection of Jesus to step into the room. I am going to lay this out for you. And then he starts to say to them beautiful things like, in salvation there is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given by which men are saved. And then he just carries this on and says, this is the power of the gospel and people are being moved toward God. People also, as people move toward God, it also repels people, some from God, who would rather rest in their arrogance and ignorance than in the reality of we get more God. So they're just pulling, he's just moving people toward God. And then they said something that was, was so powerful. They looked at Peter and, and John in Acts 4.13. They said, your courage is profound. They're unschooled, ordinary men. Listen, this is great news. This is news for you and for me. We unschooled, ordinary people gain the great glory of proclaiming extraordinary Jesus. There's no other name. Under heaven by which men are saved. And they took note of this. And could this be spoken of us? Those men, maybe better stated for this room, those people have been with Jesus. That seems to be this faith and obedience giving birth to more faith and obedience, giving birth to more faith and obedience. Acts 4.13 is becoming a prayer of mine that maybe many, because of the presence of Jesus among us, not our arrogance, not our schooled abilities, not of any letter that attaches to my name from academic achievement. This is the only thing that I believe will dent the population of Jacksonville and the nations will be this. Those people, that pastor, this church has been with Jesus. And their lives adjust to Him. And they're immediately obedient to Him. And they are a people saturated in His Word. Yeah, we just, we just want to come and ask for that. We want to ask for more boldness, more courage. I, 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 my, I can't talk, I can't say their names because we're all streaming right now, but my eyes cast to my left to a pastor in this room who has lived boldly in the presence and the face of death and walks back into it on a daily basis, proclaiming the name of Jesus and birthing his church in the most extraordinary places. And I'm preaching this right now, and I am literally looking at him, and I'm praying for more boldness. And then I'm looking across this room, and I'm saying, oh God, that you would do the same among us. More boldness wherever we are. I'm not asking you to step into an Arabic people group and proclaim you're probably not there yet. I am not asking you to have the faith in Christ to obey, obey what he is asking of you today. To repent of what is broken in your life today. To move toward Jesus who is our comforter, our healer, and he is a restorer. We're not asking for the moon. I'm just asking you to turn to Jesus and he will grow you in your faith. I, I love, um, I, I just want to end today, and this, that is a very loose preacher term. I want to end today with a, a, an account of Peter and then an account of William Wilber, Wilberforce. I love the story of Wilberforce. I've been holding this for a while. I, if there's a picture of him coming up on the screen right now. If you just can gather his countenance so you can kind of feel good about that, that won't do justice to it. William Wilberforce is five foot three inches tall. 
For the preponderance of his life, he was between 76 and 93 pounds. He is not cutting a a portrait of a guy of a world changer. He's not cutting this idea of, look, you've got to have this physical presence to make a great difference. And yet, he is known by many as the greatest social reformer in the entirety of history of mankind. He's a powerhouse, but what he's known for, more importantly, and you'll just hear the names come up over the next 15 minutes as I come to a close. So if you'll give me 15 minutes, I believe it truly is a life-changing 15 minutes. Can you hang with me? Wilberforce is powerful. He joined with God in his endeavors. He did not come saying, I'm impressive. I can change the world. Here's what people wrote of him. What you should know about him is this. Whatever strengths he had, he surrendered to utter reliance upon God. He said these words. God fights a far superior battle than I will fight in and of myself and my strength. Wilberforce joined with God for 46 years in fighting the slave trade and slavery itself. At the age of 25, and I love this reality, I want to speak this to you. Please don't set your ambition, I want to be a pastor. Set your ambition to be, I want to be the most vibrant version of whatever God has called me to do for the sake of His glory. Wilberforce came to know Jesus and fell so in love with him that he began to incline his heart to the church. And I love this. John Newton, who happened to pen the words to Amazing Grace, spoke into his life and said, I am not asking you, may this be true, somehow by a miracle of God today. I am not asking you to step out of the political realm. I am asking you in your political forum, through the parliament, to be the greatest parliamentarian that this country has ever seen. And you speak justice from where God has placed you. And it was powerful to, to, to just read that and think, God, I just I want to be that. Wilberforce stated that God himself had placed two objectives before him. The suppression of slavery and the reformation of manners. That sounds really good until you begin to recognize that the reformation of manners would be this. That I am going to halt child labor across the European continent. And I am going to battle sex trafficking. We are going to clean up some manners. In this nation and across the European continent. It was said that at one point he was linked to 69 different groups battling for these reforms. It was said of him that he gave up his life for African slaves, people who gave him nothing in return. It sounds a lot like Jesus. There are four truths of his experience with God that I think are critical to our own experience with God. And I don't want you to miss any one of them. The very first truth is this. William Wilberforce was a man who experienced conversion. He experienced the reality of Jesus Christ. He wrote about this prolifically. Others who wrote about him spoke of this. He did not decide to perpetuate social justice. That is a great movement today. I do encourage that. We should step into every realm. But here's what he decided. He decided to pursue God. To pursue the heart of God. He fell in love with God. He did not decide to experience God. He did not decide to do God things. Everything changed for him when he was converted to faith in Jesus Christ. He calls this in his own journals the great change. 
at 25 years old. It changed everything. I will not invite you. I shared this with our new members class this morning. I do not invite you to membership or to weekly occurrence of gatherings in this church. We invite you here to a life-changing experience of conversion in Jesus Christ. Meeting Him for who He is. Allowing Him to become all of who you are. Laying your sins at His feet. Picking up your cross and following Him. If you are not converted, you will not carry the torch for very long. You will grow weary of doing good. But in Jesus, it is because of the great exchange in your heart that you will be compelled forward to experience more God and more God and more God. And perhaps the reason many of us don't resonate with the desire for more God is we have never yet experienced God in conversion. It is highly plausible that the church is preponderantly made up. And in fact, research would suggest to us that there are many sitting in this room who have worshipped or better spent, spent time in a church building for the large portion of your life and yet do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord. I compel you, I beg you using Paul's words on behalf of Jesus Christ, please be converted or saved into the faith story of Jesus Christ. Do not pursue social justice Pursue Jesus, and he will drive you into the justice that he is about and the compassion of his heart. Be converted into salvation through Jesus Christ alone, for Jesus Christ alone, in his glory alone. This is my prayer. Those around Wilberforce would say his conversion changed the way he saw the world. His spiritual mentor wrote this, and this is coming up on the screen. He saw what he was blind to before. That's why it's so remiss to say, go do social justice. You don't see it apart from Jesus. God was a God of justice and righteousness who would judge us for the way we treated others, that every human being was made in God's image and therefore worthy of profound respect and kindness, that God was no respecter of persons and looked upon the rich and the poor equally. For the first time in his life, Wilberforce saw the world through the eyes of God. If you do not see the world in that manner, I am praying that you will have the eyes of God that he is not a respecter of person, that he has great compassion and humility, that he is moving toward the downtrodden, that he says in, in Matthew, the 25th chapter, your heart, when aligned with my heart, will move to the broken, the oppressed, the imprisoned. That will be an outworking of your conversion. And it will be a powerful thing. Chuck Colson wrote this in Wilberforce, obviously not a peer. He said, if Christianity is true and meaningful, it is not only here to save, it is here to serve. It brings compassion to the oppressed as well as to oppose the oppressor. He also knew that conversion, salvation, was the quintessential ultimate hope. We pursue justice with an amazing sense of hope, Mark and I stand on this platform and talk about vaccinations, not so that we can inoculate others from, from a physical illness, but so that we could speak the gospel into their lives. That's who we are. That's what we're about. We come because Jesus rescued us. We're rescuers. We need him to allow us to see the world differently and more importantly, and let me hear this, we need him to allow us to see the world rightly and passionately. We need him for sustaining power and we need him to labor in a broken world. We will not do this in our own strength, our own power. We need a far more grand and beautiful picture of our God. We need more God. Not only is conversion, but scripture 
He was converted and he was deeply rooted. I love what he wrote in his journal. I have a great fascination for the peculiar doctrines of the faith. When he wrote that, he was referring to human depravity. He was referring to the substitutionary work of God through Christ on the cross. He was talking about it. He wrote comprehensively about salvation by faith alone, justification through grace alone. He wrote about the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. He was a man who was rooted in Scripture. May that be true of us should we desire to experience God. He saw these as as good, as shaping the culture and defining our purpose as a people after God's heart. We are bold and yet we are humble as people of the word. We're courageous because we know that God has taken care of the things that we most greatly fear. The things that strike us in the middle of the night that God has namely taken away any fear of death. I can preach my heart out right now because I know that I will live eternally before Jesus. I will live eternally with him and therefore I back up to this very moment and implore you to know Jesus. I beg of you on behalf of Christ, know Jesus, for that's the eternal story. No fear of death. No fear of judgment. No fear of of what may happen should we step out on this lamb because we know this through the hands of our God are filtered the the realities of our day. Nothing happens to us and or through us that has not already been filtered through the hands of our living God. There is peace in that. There are questions There are challenges as you make your way through this world. There is persecution and there is suffering in that. But there is a trust in the sovereign hand of God in the midst of that truth rooted and established in the word. And we just begin to say, God, I don't fear rejection from others. Why would I fear that? I have the approval of God. That moves me. We're free to live, courageous to speak. We don't read mysterious words like Paul. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So the life that I live in this body is going to be fruitful labor for you. And yet, what do I choose? I don't know a desire to depart and be with Christ, which would be much better by far. But it's far more necessary for me to remain for a few more moments in this body. So if I'm going to stay in this body, it's going to be fruitful. Those are the words that resonate from a scripture-bound, fully converted, passion-filled body of believers and individuals who walk with Christ. Just going, God, we are free in you. It fosters humility. We know that we've been rescued by grace. We identify with the weak and powerless because we are as well. We gladly pursue the oppressed and the orphaned and the abused because we have a true sense that that's our story as well. So we run. The heart of things that lift up the heart of our God. William Wilberforce took the Bible seriously and as a result and literally changed the world. Prayer. My last two are fast. He was surrounded by a group of people he prayed with. They had a name for their community, the Clayton community, and they prayed together with heartfelt passion. It was a circle that prayed extensively for boldness and courage. Oh, what would happen among our student ministry? I don't know where Joel is right now. If we have circles that prayed together, that literally prayed for courage and boldness, not mediocrity and lack of conviction, but courage and boldness. 
if we looked at one another and said we're engaged, this is the word of God, we're passionate, what would happen through a generation of students? What about us, mom and dads? What if we got together because we have kids who are watching us and said, God, give us courage and boldness. We're converted, give us more of you. We just pray that way. I, I love this. I'm a John Wesley um, big fan. My wife grew up in the Wesley tradition, so throughout my seminary experiences, I studied him. I love this truth about him. One of the last recorded letters that he wrote at 87 years old was to Wilberforce, and it was in a prayer. And he said these words. He wrote these words. Unless God raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by opposition and of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Be not weary of well-doing. You go on, my brother. We've prayed together for years. We have stood together for years. We have sat in circles for years. And I want you in these last days to write these words to you. You go on in the name of God and in the power of his might until every American slave is free. This is the vilest of slavery under the sun. I know you've done much in the European continent. Step over across the waters, brother. Go and speak freedom in Jesus' name. You have partners around you that on their last pen letter, they're going to pen words like that to you. If not, what are we willing to do about it today? Converted. Filled with the word of God. Established in truth. Praying in circles for the power and the force of God among his people. And here's why. All for the glory of God. We experience God and we want more God. Not so that something great is spoken of Mandarin Baptist Church. Not so some preacher has something said about him. We want this. Jesus, your name lifted up. Men and women will be drawn to freedom. It's for the glory of God. Wilberforce viewed his work from a God-centered perspective. John Piper wrote of him, he was not a political pragmatist. He was a radically God-centered man who happened to be a politician. You are not a blank. Could you just possibly be a radically God-centered person who has been placed exactly where you are in your work environment for the glory of God alone? And freedom will come. His true affections for God were founded and rooted in His his peculiar doctrines. Oh, that, that would be true of us. These roots compelled His endurance in the cause of justice. It was said of Wilberforce, His secret was He made the journey from self centeredness He made this journey early in life. Praise God. That's why I really, Joel, just want to talk about students. If they could move there right now, how much better than for those of us who are older in the faith. They made the journey. He made it at 25 from self-centeredness, achievement, and political centeredness to a centrality of God. And he did it. I love this statement. And he did it with Christ-like joy. I would love for that to describe Mandarin Baptist Church. They have moved out of any centeredness that could bear weight in their church. Until this, the only center point that makes them go is the living God. And they're about his presence. And do you know what I sense when I'm around them? This is what I'm, I'm begging God that the city will say, you know what I sense when I'm around them? Christ-like joy. Yeah. It's just who they are. They're just filled with joy. And here's, here's ending. I'm ending. I'm, I'm done. Are you ready? Acts, the fourth chapter. We should end with scripture. The Lord considered their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand. Heal. Perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of the Holy One, the Holy Servant, Jesus Christ. And then, and then, after they prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken. Yes. They were filled with the Spirit. 
And here's what happened. It, it wasn't a shaken moment. That's where we often stop in churches. Shake this place. No, they filled with the Spirit. And then they stepped out and spoke the Word of God throughout the communities and to the nations with boldness. Conversion, Scripture, prayer for the glory of God with Christ-like joy. I can't think of a better description of a church experiencing God. May we live it. Let's pray together.